Why did the judge recuse himself in the Delphi case? And who's the new judge? Even rich people have problems. A son of the year contender, and yes, I'm being facetious. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, my name is Scott Reich and this is Crime Talk. Before we get to the news, we gotta do the daily stuff. That's right, the daily stuff is subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, hit that little bell so you receive notifications of when we go live or put up new content. And remember, you can always listen to us by searching us on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Now, since today is Tuesday, it's election day, but don't worry, we're still going to do our Crime Talk Live and then our Patreon show immediately following the live show. 6 p.m. Mountain Time, please join us here. We'll be talking about the Delphi murders. We'll be talking about Lori Vallow, well, and anything else you all want to talk about. And then our Patreon show, that's right, you can actually call in. We can have a conversation about anything you want to talk about. All right, let's go ahead and open the docket here on Crime Talk for November 8th, 2022. So the reason why the Carroll County judge disqualified himself from this case isn't exactly known to the public. That information must be given to the newly appointed uh, special judge, but the public, well, we may never find out exactly why the judge did it. It is common for a judge to recuse themselves if in fact there is an actual conflict, okay? If a judge, for example, in the federal courts has a financial interest in any case, they must disqualify themselves. If for some reason there is a close relationship between the judge and maybe one of the prosecutors or defense attorney in the case, that has to be disclosed and it could be a basis for disqualification. But for a judge to disqualify himself, he has to say, I just don't think that I can be fair and impartial. I've never heard of a judge say, I don't want to take this case because it's going to be high profile. Uh, I could be put under scrutiny. I've never had a judge do that. And most judges are quite candid with it. I, there was a judge that I did many, many trials in front of. I actually represented a relative of theirs. And every time we would start a trial, the judge would call the prosecutor up and say, I just want to be known that, you know, Mr. Reich may have represented so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's like, okay, fine, that's great. Because I don't think the judge gave me any special treatment. If anything, he probably went the other way to make sure uh, it didn't look like that uh, he was being uh, giving me any favors whatsoever, which he never did. He was a great judge. He called balls and strikes. Wasn't swaying to one side or the other. So now we have Judge Fran Gull from Allen County, and she is taking over the Delphi uh, murder case uh, in regards to the death of Abby Williams and Libby German. And um, it's unlikely that she is going to uh, disqualify herself because she appears as though under the code of judicial conduct, there's no good reason for her to do that. Like I said, high profile, high scrutiny, maybe if the judge knows a witness, but they don't think they can be fair and impartial, that's, that's very odd. So like I said, a lot of times it comes down to, hey, I worked with this person at a law firm. Uh, I have a financial connection in this case, or I'm just biased. But if the judge is saying, hey, I'm biased, which he kind of did when he said, you know, this lust for information that the judge said, he really kind of said, I just don't want any part of this circus that's coming this way. Like I said, it is up to the judge if you have to disqualify yourself, but only if it's warranted. You have a duty to preside when disqualification isn't warranted. For example, uh, if a judge looks at a situation saying, boy, this is a political hot case 
and I'm going to catch a lot of flack for this. I don't want to sit in this case. That's not appropriate. Okay, judges are there to supposedly make the hard decisions to do what they have to do. So now the ball is in the court for the Honorable Francis C. Gull. So what do we know about Francis C. Gull? And I just didn't even notice Francis C. Gull. Hmm. Well, she served as a judge in the Allen Superior Court since January of 1997, and she was first elected judge in 1996, and she's been reelected for that position four times. For more than 20 years, Judge Gull has served apparently as an administrative judge of Superior Court's criminal division overseeing the day-to-day -day operations of six criminal courts, including the misdemeanor and traffic and felony courts. So what that tells me is that she is the presiding judge over the criminal uh, judges in that particular county. Usually that goes to a senior judge, which she would be in this case because she's been on the bench for 25 years. And so, like I said, during that 25 years, judges apparently has gained statewide and national um, recognition in areas including jury management, restorative justice, and the use of technology in the courts. She's been honored several times for her contribution to the criminal justice system, including she received the 2015 G. Thomas Munsterman Award for Jury Innovation presented by the National Center for State's Courts. And uh, since June of 2002, Judge Gall has supervised Allen County's nationally renowned drug court program, the program which promotes recovery for addiction and restoration of families torn apart by substance abuse. And then in 2020, the program was approaching nearly 1,000 graduates, making it among one of the most successful uh, and impactful in the country. Now, Judge Gull, we know that she received her bachelor's degree in political science from St. Joseph's College in 1980 and she received her law degree, a Juris Doctor, from the Valparcio University School of Law in 1983. And I have to say, I've never heard of this law school, but it is in Indiana and it looks reputable. Anyway, it's an accredited law school. After receiving her law degree, Judge Gold began her career in the Allen Superior Court, serving as a law clerk in the Family and Criminal Divisions in 1983 and 1984. And then prior to becoming a judge from 1987 to 1996, Judge Gull served as the Allen County Prosecutor's Office, where she was a chief deputy prosecutor, a role in which she served from 1990 until her election to the bench. In the prosecution's office, she also served as the chief counsel, criminal division, deputy prosecuting attorney. She was in the sex crimes unit and the section chief of the felony division. In the prosecutor's office, Judge Gall prosecuted hundreds of offenders. In the sex crimes unit, she was responsible for cases of sexual assault, women and children, and later as section chief in the major felonies division. Her trial schedule expanded to include robbery, burglary, arson, battery, and other serious felony offenses. As the chief counsel and then chief deputy, she was responsible for the prosecution of all homicides, high-profile felony cases, arson investigations, and cases involving political figures. So it sounds like she has all the qualifications and um, of a good judge, and it seems like she's going to be ready to go. Now, what I said the other day was that there are no coincidences in criminal law, okay? And is it a coincidence that an Indiana judge dropped multiple charges against a man accused of talking to one of the slain Delphi girls on the day she was murdered? 
Remember Keegan Klein? We've talked about him a couple of times over the last week or so because he'd been linked to the case of Libby German and Abby Williams since his arrest back in 2020. Now, for those unfamiliar, the girls were uh, murdered on Valentine's Day of 2017 in Delphi, Indiana, after taking a hiking trip on an abandoned Monin High Bridge. Now, Klein allegedly confessed to investigators back in 2020 that he used a fake profile and photos to allure underage girls via a social media app. He also admitted that he spoke with Libby on both Instagram and Snapchat just before her death. An Indiana judge dismissed counts against Klein days after police arrested Richard Allen on the Delphi case. Now, Allen has been charged with obviously the two counts of murder in connection with the girl's death, and prosecutors filed a motion last week asking for some of Klein's charges to be dropped, which included the 30 uh, counts of uh, sexual exploitation involving a child. Another request has been reportedly filed to downgrade the remaining charges as well. The prosecutor apparently said there's insufficient evidence to prove said counts beyond a reasonable doubt. Technically, they can't do it. And yes, prosecutors have an ethical obligation to dismiss the counts that they don't think that they can ethically obtain a conviction upon. But the timing is very coincidental, isn't it? Coincidence, coincidence, coincidence. So according to the court records, the circuit court judge, Timothy Spar dropped uh, many of the 30 charges, and officials have not said whether the drop charges are in connection with uh, the Allen matter. Um, although, as we talked about the other day, there's a transcript out there where Klein uh, was being interviewed by the police, and um, it tries to intimate that uh, he knew uh, the uh, killer involved in this particular case. Now, in that transcript of the police interview with Klein back in 2020, it showed that uh, he failed a polygraph examination when he said that he didn't know who killed the girls. That same polygraph, the transcript uh, shows, revealed that Klein was being untruthful when he said he stopped messaging with Libby in his catfish persona, a guy by the name of Anthony Schatz was the screen name that he was using, who was apparently, you know, this persona that he was a teen actor and a model just two weeks before the murders. And when investigators told Klein they believed that he spoke with Libby during her overnight stay with Abby before they took their fatal hike, he initially denied it. And yet the messages continued on Libby's phone, although the messages with her were deleted from Klein's. So investigators appear to begin to wonder if someone stepped into Klein's place for the last two weeks. So during the time frame where this grooming would have been built up to meeting, uh, one of the detectives tells Klein's in the transcripts, it's wiped from your phone. So now it all starts to stack up. The complexity of your Anthony Schatz persona, the cars, the influence of Lamborghinis, Ferraris, it's not you, it's not your idea. You and I both know it's not your idea. The complexity of it, okay, it's not you. So Klein held fast through that um, and he never copped to knowing anything. But the transcript noted he was temporarily released from jail in custody of the Indiana State Police back in August, the very day that officers began a five-week search of the Wabash River. Remember what I said, there are no coincidences, ladies and gentlemen. Now, meanwhile, as we talked about before, Mr. Allen has pled not guilty and is reportedly exercising his constitutional rights to remain silent. 
we always encourage people to exercise their constitutional rights and hey never punish anybody for doing that because you never know when you may have to do that as well now during the press conference last week the police said that the probable cause existed and other evidence in this case uh, existed for an arrest to be made but we're going to keep everything secret listen to our previous videos when we talk about the concern there we're going to talk about that more tonight my concern as to why it is it just always seems like these smaller jurisdictions want to keep everything a secret so as not to offend somebody because everybody knows everybody guess what nobody cares it's just another case it's a homicide case just because it has more publicity on it doesn't mean that the rules get to be changed so we have to wait until november 22nd to determine whether the uh, unsealing will take place as it relates to the uh, probable cause affidavit and hopefully we'll see uh, what facts or what piece of evidence they have to hold mr allen in custody so please join us tonight and we can talk about that now please we need you to help support the people that support crime talk let's face it with all the censoring that takes place on youtube all the demonetization because well this is a true crime channel and we use words that sometimes well youtube doesn't like we got to keep the lights on ladies and gentlemen so let's support the people that support crime talk so go to crimetalksearch.com where you can get a background subscription service and with that background subscription service you can then conduct as many background searches as you like while you have that subscription and remember you can cancel at any time but literally you type in a person's name that you want information on a couple of questions are asked of you you fill that information in and bam within minutes you get a complete comprehensive background search done on this particular individual and it's going to have information as to whether they're married right sometimes people don't always tell you that maybe they're divorced do they own property are there judgments against them do they have a criminal record are they on some sort of public registry that would give you pause? Those are the type of things you can find out. Those are the things you should know about people coming into your life, or maybe somebody you just don't get that warm, fuzzy feeling about. So go to crimetalksearch.com. You'll be happy you did. Ladies and gentlemen, trouble can happen to anyone, even heirs to billionaires. That's right. So a woman showed up at her home and just happened to find the Tyson Food Chief Financial Officer, a guy by the name of John Tyson, in her bed. Well, he's been charged with public intoxication and trespassing, and he was booked into the county jail on Sunday morning. He was wearing some orange pants, and uh, he was without a shirt. And uh, Mr. Tyson was released Sunday evening on a $415 bond and is due back in court on December 1st. Now, the woman says that she does not know Mr. Tyson, who she found out was the heir to the billion dollar food brand um, who's the guy sleeping in her bed now apparently according to the police reports mr tyson smelled of alcohol uh, when he was uh, found and he could not verbally respond to police his movements appeared to be sluggish and uncoordinated according to the police report uh, i would have to say that he was under the influence of some sort of uh, alcohol or some other controlled substance it can happen to anyone ladies and gentlemen well, Mr. Tyson is the son of uh, Tyson Foods chairman, John H. Tyson, and the great-grandson of the founder, John H. Tyson. And, you know, the family's worth about $3.3 billion. Now, the young Tyson, he's only 32, and uh, he doesn't sound like a complete slacker. He's a lecturer at the University of Arkansas's uh, business school. Um, and he joined the family business in 2019 after working as an investment banker with uh, J.P. Morgan. 
as well as a little stint with a private equity venture capital fund. The guy attended Harvard University uh, for his undergraduate degree and then got his MBA from the Harvard of the West, Stanford. He's the youngest CFO serving at a Fortune 500 company. And yet, and yet, he can still get arrested for going into a woman's home uninvited, completely intoxicated, having no idea where he is. One of the things I realized when I became a criminal defense attorney is, ladies and gentlemen, is that um, I thought as a kid, only my family was completely dysfunctional. What I realized is that, um, well, everyone's families are dysfunctional, even the billionaires. So sleep well at night. You're not alone. Everybody has problems. Everybody. Even when your family's worth $3.3 billion, you got problems. Next on the docket, a son of the year award. And yes, I am being facetious, okay? This guy is not a good son. He's a bad son. So what happened? Well, this past Sunday, the Pima County Sheriff deputies in Arizona responded to a home where they discovered a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Hatmaker. When they approached Mr. Hatmaker, he was standing outside of the residence and he had a firearm in his hand. Mr. Hatmaker reportedly called 911 and told dispatchers, quote, I killed my mom and she deserved it. And I'm quoting there. Police asked Mr. Hatmaker why she deserved to be shot. And Mr. Hatmaker replied, well, she gave birth to me. Needless to say, during a search of the home, deputies found the mother, 66-year-old Peggy Hatmaker, with some signs of some trauma and uh, she had succumbed to her injuries. Mr. Hatmaker, who has a history of mental illness, shockingly was arrested and booked into the Pima County Jail on first degree murder charge where his bond is $1 million. You see, and the Tyson kid thinks he has problems. Mr. Hatmaker, he's got real problems. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Now prosecutors have not released the name of this genius and now our dumb criminal of the day. Now, he is a juvenile. That's why they haven't released his name. But they po police believe that he was part of a retail theft ring. Take a look at this. This guy goes running towards the door, crashes into the plated glass window, and falls like a sack of potatoes. An officer ran over, sat on his back, and arrested him. Yes. And here, you, who can beat this one? A little bit of bonus dumb criminal of the day. This guy starts robbing the store and everybody leaves and on the way out, they lock the door and he's praying that they please let him out because he's gonna get in big trouble. There's your dumb criminal of the day bonus edition. All right, thanks for watching. Please join us tonight, 6 p.m. Mountain Time for our live show. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you later tonight.